we'll have some words up on the screen for you. <laughs> so you can sing along with us. Uh, just take a comfortable position of worship, stand, sit, uh, you know, free, free to worship in this house how you see fit. Uh, but let's sing together. I am excited to hear what the Lord's going to speak through our speakers today and through our pastors. And, and praise God, anytime God speaks, whether it's one, two, or ten, or a thousand, it should be something we open our heart to. Amen. As, as Brother uh, Raphael told me just a while ago, God has here who he deemed it needed to be here today. So we're here and we're going to listen. And I, There's no better way to start any service than to go to the Lord in prayer. Amen. So if you'll pray with me. Father God, I do come before you right now, and I thank you for these folks behind me that come to lead us in worship, Lord God. Father, and that's why we're here today. It's not about numbers on a wall. It's about hearing what you're going to speak to each one of our hearts. So, Lord, uh, I pray this morning that every one of us will open our hearts to what you have to say. May we be quickened by what your Spirit tells us to do, and may we follow through 
with what it is you call us to do. Lord, be with each one of our speakers this day and be with these musicians behind me. And may we be able to leave this house today and say it's been good to be in your house, whether it be in fellowship one with another, but even more so, fellowship with our Heavenly Father. Lord, may thy will be done in the house, your house today and within your people. And it's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. 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 So it's good seeing everybody this morning. I'm going to turn it back over to Chris. He's going to lead us in some more worship music this morning. Well, we are few, so there's no hiding, so you guys better be singing. <laughs> we can tell. But these songs are, are easy enough to follow along, even if you're not uh, familiar with them. So uh, let's just sing this morning. Let's just, uh, like I said before, just bring in the spirit. This is uh, 10,000 Reasons. So 
next song talks about how good God is. We have a saying in the church, you know, God is good, good. All, the all, time, the time. Right? all the time, right? All the time. So this is Good, Good Father. Let's sing about that.
we had a funeral here yesterday for a young man who was pretty well known in our community and uh, nice thing about the funeral is that we, we knew where he was going and uh, the, the pervasive theme of the funeral was that he's up there in heaven singing with God right now in his presence and uh, that's kind of what this next song talks about uh, talks about what we get to look forward to
other stragglers that came through every now and then. And I've always been impressed by a mother's sense and intuition and the eyes in the back of the head. But to see you never even miss a lick on the drums when your son's asking to go play basketball, I was like, that's awesome. I mean, you got the mama eyes and never missed a beat. Amen. <laughs> I was impressed. <laughs> and he knew by the look. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Well, guys, again, I know we're a light crowd, but isn't it great that God is a big God? And we're, amen. We're going to hear from him this morning. And we're, our first speaker is going to be Brother Tim Taggart. He, he is a, a worker here at the church. He and his wife teach our young adults class, and he has got something he was going to share with us this morning to kick us off. So, Brother Tim, if you want to come on up this morning, this afternoon. Thank you. Amen. All right, thank you. Father God, I do lift up my brother to you and just ask you to uh, put your words in him and may we hear you through him now. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you, Tim. Amen. All right. Yeah, it is a light crowd, but that's good for me because I'm nervous. <laughs> anyway, uh, I was asked to speak at this uh, earlier this week. Um, and for my first thought was, gee whiz, I'm nobody. And uh, so I guess to God, everybody's somebody. So I said, so I guess those that don't know me, my name is Tim Taggart. I was born and raised in the Northwest in Oregon. I moved here in, uh, after the flood of 98 um, in 99. I had family that was living here, my sister and my uh, parents. They used to winter summer between the two of us, which was kind of nice, but then they decided to move down here, my folks, and so I, they moved down, I moved down with them. And uh, since then, everybody's gone except me and my daughter. <laughs> so nobody's here <laughs> anymore. Anyway, uh, when I first came to uh, Texas, I uh, don't hold this against me. I went to the Methodist Church. That's where I've been for the last 20 years. I've served in leadership there for, uh, for, the, for the past 20 years. And then after the tragedy here, my wife, we had family involved, and my wife felt led that we needed to come here. And so I'm serving dual citizenship. <clears throat> anyway. Um, <clears throat> then I prayed about what, what to talk about because I wasn't really well informed myself about what this event was about. And uh, so I was praying to God and, and uh, with a little prompting <laughs> from my wife, she, uh, she uh, reminded me that, uh, you know, when God calls, we need to answer. So this is what he put on my heart. I started, I prayed about it some more that day, and I went home, and I started organizing a bunch of, of thoughts or writing down a bunch of thoughts, and, and uh, then I struggled for a couple of days, and, but God was faithful, and he put an uh, author in my life, my wonderful wife, <laughs> who uh, helped me organize those thoughts and hopefully uh, 
we'll have a message that comes out that will convey something to you today. Um, this is God's given privilege with responsibility. In the book of Genesis, we see that God created Adam and placed him in the garden to work and tend it. He did this for God, who put him in charge of Eden. Adam was given authority over what was placed in his care, making him what I believe to be the very first steward of God's creation. This beautiful picture became corrupt when sin entered in and the earth began to struggle. Adam essentially turned over his God-given authority to the enemy of our souls. Throughout history, every time God gave someone a gift, he expected it to be used to accomplish what was intended by his design. The Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 2.10, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Our Christian walk involves proactive involvement in the world in which we live. But unfortunately, too many Christians today believe that since they have been saved and have their bus ticket to heaven, it doesn't really matter what they do while they wait for that bus. Everything we do and don't do matters to God. We can never earn our way to heaven, but while we are still on this side, there are certain biblical expectations for those who wear the name of Christ. We are spread the message of salvation through the gospel. Use our talents and gifts in a responsible way, taking every opportunity we have to carry out God's call in our life. We are to work until our Master, Lord and Savior, returns, using our energy, faithfulness, and our love to further His kingdom. When we don't even try to accomplish the things God has before us, we are not being faithful in our Christian discipleship. Let's look at Matthew 25, 14 through 30. This is the parable of the talents. For it is just like a man going on a far journey. He called his own slaves and turned over his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one each according to his own ability. Then he went on a journey. Immediately the man who had five talents went and put them to work and earned five more. In the same way the man who turned earned Excuse me. In the same way, the man with two earned two more. But the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five talents approached, presented five more talents, and said, Master, you gave me five talents. Look, I've earned five more talents. His master said, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. Then the man with two talents also approached and said, Master, you gave me two talents. Look what I've earned, two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share in your master's joy. Then the man who had received one talent also approached and said, Master, I know you. You're a difficult man, reaping where you haven't sown and gathered where you haven't scattered seed. So I was afraid and went off and hid your talent in the ground. Look, you have what is yours. But the master replied to him, You evil, lazy slave. 
If I knew that I reap where if you knew that I reap where I haven't sown and gather where I haven't scattered, then you should have deposited my money with the bankers. And then when I returned, I would receive my money back with interest. So the talent from him, so take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have more than enough. But from the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And throw his good-for-nothing slave into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The evil, unfaithful steward in the parable didn't really waste his master's money. He just misused it, and while doing so, he also missed the opportunity to be faithful and to honor his Lord. I believe the parable of the talent teaches us we are supposed to work using our talents and our gifts to glorify God, serve others, and further God's kingdom. Doesn't that sound a little like discipling? Our gifts and, our, and even our freedom to make good choices will do nothing for anyone if they are hidden and not used to serve. We have a mission that our Lord expects us for us to accomplish in the here and now. Producing the return God expects from all his true disciples. There's no one on this earth who lacks at least one strong talent. God planned it that way. We might think one talent or gift is not important. We might even believe Satan's lie. When he tells us that our one little voice or even our one vote won't make a difference whatsoever, but this isn't true. As we saw in the parable, if we have just one, God expects for us to use it boldly. A sovereign God exercises his will in such a way that holds man accountable for his decisions. I believe it's our duty and responsibility to pray for our leaders. We see this in 1 Timothy 2, 1 and 4, 1 through 4. First of all, then, I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all their, those who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and it pleases God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. The way we pray for and support our leaders not only pleases God and furthers our own walk with him, but it also leads to the salvation of those who are watching. Also, in Chronicles 2, 7, 14, God tells us of the importance of being individually responsible for our own walk. And then our personal walk will cause a ripple effect for our entire nation. He says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. I also believe that it is our responsibility to vote for leaders who promote Christian principles. Much of our suffering on this earth is because of godless leadership. We should choose leaders who are led by our creator and anyone or law that violates the Bible's commands for life family, marriage, and faith should never be supported. Proverbs 14.34 says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to all people. Who do you want tending the garden God gave to us? We've gone too long not exercising our Christian privileges and not using our gifts, our talents, and our voice, but instead allowing others Non-believers do our gardening. 
it's easy to sit back and poke fun at candidates or talk about how it should be done or how we would do it if we were in office. But why won't we step forward and be part of the solution rather than fueling the problem? Christians need to wake from their civic slumber and please God, whose heart it is for believers to begin affecting government rather than reacting to it. Voting is an opportunity to promote, protect, and preserve a godly government. We can't stand back and allow others to tend the garden that God gave to us. We need to stand up as Christians and not allow others to squash our faith and our values into the pavement. We need to speak up and put Jesus first in our lives, back on the throne of our hearts, and get back to glorifying him in all that we do. You've heard it said, if you don't use it, you lose it. If we don't take advantage of our God-given rights, the ones who are using the worldly power will take away our rights, and we will suffer even greater loss. One day, a day no one knows when it will happen, we'll be required to give an account, just like we read in the parable. We'll have to present what we've done with what we've been given as we've journeyed through this life. I want to hear those words more than anything in the world. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over little. I will make you ruler over much. Thank you very much. Thank you, brother. Before I call our next speaker up, I wasn't asked to preach, but you let a preacher get up behind a pulpit. It's kind of hard not to. But I just want to say one quick thing to what my brother just said. Oftentimes we start thinking, well, I, how can I do that? I am one person out in the middle of nowhere. Remember, Acts 1.8 says that there is power that's been placed upon us to make us witnesses into our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. Guys, every single one of us, as my brother just said, has a talent. And not only do we have a talent, we have been blessed with the power that has created the heavens and the earth. That power, when tapped within you and allowed to flow through you, can make a difference. And we... We've been blessed in this country. We're celebrating Veterans Day in two days. Because of veterans who went and fought and died for us and, and still putting on that uniform, we have been given freedoms to vote. We've been given freedoms to exercise the God-given right to pursue life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And in so doing, we not should, we must get out there and do that. So thank you for that, brother, and we all have the capability to do it. didn't mean to preach at you, but it was just rolling through my head while you're speaking that there was somebody that thinks you don't have that capability. Every one of us has been empowered by God to do what God tells us to do on his planet for his people. Discipleship. Amen. Hallelujah. That and a dollar buy you a donut, but I had to throw that out there. <laughs> Our next speaker this morning is, uh, he pastors Jordan River Church in Laredo, Texas. He is also the president and founder of the, the Laredo Prayer Task Force and the founder of Keep God in Texas Conference. Praise God for him. He's got children, five grandchildren. He is a warrior for the Lord. And I've got to uh, speak with him and, and meet up with him a couple of times now. And I think I'll be with you in a couple of days in Laredo when we're speaking again. Uh, I'll be, then you'll have to hear me speak, brother. I'm sorry, but I'm looking forward to hearing you now. Amen. Come on up, my brother. I'd like to introduce to you Pastor Jorge Tavar. Can I pray with you, brother? 
Father God, I lift up my brother right now and just ask you to hold him in your hand and speak through him. And may we hear you through him in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, brother. Praise God. Lord bless you this, this afternoon. I'm so used to carrying this with me. I'm sorry. <clears throat> Praise God. I'm glad to be here. I'm blessed to be here. Um, thank God for the opportunity he's given me to be here today with you all. Um, first of all, um, I don't want to forget, I introduced my beautiful wife, Marta. She's right here with me. And so that you won't forget, my name is Jorge, Jorge Tovar, and my wife's name is Marta. So that I understand that the first president of the United States was named George and Martha, right? Okay. <laughs> Praise God. So, huh? <laughs> huh? <laughs> wow, praise God. You know, um, the Lord woke me up not too long ago. I've been serving God for 47 years, 48 years this month. And for me to say the Lord woke me up 12 months ago, a year ago, has some explaining to do. Lord called me in the middle of the night and he said this, Guerrero. But those that know, uh, uh, God speaks in Spanish, okay? <laughs> and it's the heavenly language, so you, you guys better start learning the Spanish. And he, and he repeated that. He says, Guerrero. At the third time, he said, Guerrero, I woke up. And I realized God was calling me. At the time, I didn't know what he wanted. But my heart was open. Lord, here I am. A couple of months later, we had a darkness try to uh, cover the Laredo area. And uh, in form of the uh, LGBT coming into our city and trying to amend our anti-discrimination order and to make a long story short, they tried to. The, the pastors, the local uh, pastors and ministry leaders rose up and protested it, and they did not pass. How many of you have heard a noise in the middle of the night where you're fast asleep, and you hear something, and you're still asleep, and you realize, wait a minute, and you open your eyes. And then you hear it again. And you realize you have an idea what's, what the noise is, so you set up. And once you, you realize and you, you, know, you know that you're not, you're not going to fall down in a dizzy spell or whatever because you woke up abruptly, you get up and you attend to that noise. You go. You know, this is what happened to me. This woke me up. The experience in Laredo with city council woke me up, and I started, I started looking into, what is this? Sexual orientation, gender identity. I've heard of it, but I, I, I really wasn't versed on it, so I, I started looking into it. You know, by the time I knew it, the Lord had me going to Austin 
the Lord had me uh, be exposed to more of this and more of this. So I started getting involved because we didn't want that in our city. And I started meeting people and I started uh, finding out there was organizations already working on this. And, uh, and, 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 and by the time I knew it, I was in Washington, D.C. You know, I, I was, I, I was uh, telling somebody earlier, I was born in Corpus Christi. I was raised my entire life in Laredo, Texas, a border town. I did not know really how to speak English. And I still don't. I, uh, <laughs> when the Lord told me to do this, I said, wait a minute, Lord, I'm, I stutter in English. You know, so that, I'm in trouble. He said, you don't have to worry. You don't have to worry about that because I'm doing all the talking. He says, okay, Lord, here I am. <laughs> I am. You know, so I was in Washington, D.C., and we were there with FRC and, uh, for an event that we're having. And <clears throat> but there was a, a break in between, and we went to a tour in the Capitol. Uh, and uh, me from Laredo, Grew up in the streets. I was the most miserable young man in the streets of Laredo. By the time I came to the Lord, Lord changed my life because of his grace. He brought me from the streets of Laredo and put me behind a pulpit and started preaching God's word. And that's because of God's grace. But me being in Washington, D.C., I only read about that in books. I understood that the, this nation was founded in biblical values. That's all I knew. That's all I knew. But when we went to this tour, <clears throat> I started hearing the stories and the detailed information on the presidents, on the uh, people involved in politics. I started seeing the statues, and they started informing me what they were all doing. And, and that's why there was, it, it was founded in biblical principles, because these were pastors and ministers that founded this nation. But I, I heard the stories. And I was in there, that brown building. I saw those beautiful portraits portraying the different occasions in, in the United States, the signing of the Declaration of Independence, the, uh, the Constitution. And I just got, I was overwhelmed. I started crying. And I said, Lord, you are here. You are here in this building. You are here. And I felt God's real presence in my life. And I sat down and I was just crying, Lord. I was, you are here. You are here. And then the Lord spoke to me. And he said, yes, I am here. Get me out of here. Rewinding back a little bit, I, the Lord has shown me when all this was going on at city council and all that, the Lord has shown me People are pushing me out of every state. They're pushing. We, I saw people pushing God out of their state. Then he showed me Texas. He said, there's still time for Texas. So, it, <clears throat> so in my heart, God impressed this. Keep God in Texas. And since then, we started doing conferences and, 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 uh, and, and informing the pastors to wake up and to wake up their church and to get involved because the darkness was taking control of our homes, our cities, our state, and our nation. You know what? And when, when, when that came into, into, my, into my impressed heart, the, 
God, gave, the Spirit of the Lord just came and convicted me. Why? Why was I convicted? Because I've been a de Democrat all my life. Up until 12 months ago. And I realized that the, my, the, the, the homes, the, 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 the families, the cities, the state, and the nation was in the condition it was because of me. I voted these people in that are passing approving uh, laws that are anti-biblical, killing babies. And, and I put them there. I repented and said, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me. And he forgave me. His grace forgave me. But you know what? He, now he's put it in my heart to do this. And I've been talking to pastors and, 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 and asking them, wake up. Because the Lord woke me up and you need to wake up. You know what? And he impressed in our hearts. You need to go. You need to go. Laredo is the gateway for the, for the passage of the body of Christ to start a revival like in Brownsville, Florida. That's what, that's what he told it. But this one will be Brownsville, Texas. You know what? And we've had these conferences in, in Laredo and El Paso and Corpus Christi. And the next one is Brownsville, Texas, November 23rd this month. So by doing that, and then go, let, now let's go back to Washington, D.C., where the Lord spoke, me and, spoke to me and, say, and told me, get me out of here. So I said, okay, Lord, wait a minute. First you tell me to get you out of Texas, and now you're telling, telling me, or, or, or keep you in Texas, and now you're telling me, get me out of here. Okay, what's going on, Lord? And that's what he showed me. We need to, you know what? Uh, there's a scripture that I would like to share with you, and it, it's in Acts chapter 12, verse 4 and, and on. And it's the story of, of when Peter was incarcerated. He was put in jail because he was preaching God's word. And, and the Bible says that after the arrest, Acts chapter 12, verse 4, after the arrest... He put him in prison, or the king put him in, put him in prison, and assigned four squads. I want you to, to understand what's going on. He was assigned, he assigned four squads of four soldiers each to guard him, intending to bring him out to the people after Passover. So Peter was kept in prison. But, the Bible says, but prayer, prayer was being made earnestly to God for him by the church. And in a Spanish translation, it was, the church was praying for him without ceasing. Sin cesar. So, the church woke up and started praying for Peter. But look at what happened afterwards. On that night, verse 6, on the night before Herod was to bring him out for execution, Peter, bound with two chains, okay, we got to remember, he was in prison, assigned four squads with four, four soldiers each. Remember that. On top of that, he had chains. He was chained down. Okay. So, Peter was bound with two chains. And then it says, was sleeping. Did you see that? He was sleeping between two soldiers. And then, while the sentries in front of the door, more soldiers, guarded the prison... Verse 7 says, suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell, striking Peter on the side. He woke him up. 
he woke him up and said, get up quick. Get up quick. Then the chains fell off of his wrists. And the angel told him, get dressed. Get dressed. The angel told him, and put, put on your, your sandals. And he did so. Wrap your cloak around you. And he, and he told him, and follow me. So he went out. That's verse 9. He went out and followed. And he did not know that what took place through the angel was real. But thought that he was seeing a vision. After they passed the first and second guard post, they came to the iron gate that leads into the city, which, listen to this, opened to them by itself. They went outside and passed one street, and immediately the angel left him. When I read this, these details really impressed my heart because this is what God is asking the church to do. You know what? I've been asleep all this time and the Lord woke me up. When he told me Guerrero, and besides, uh, uh, I forgot to tell you, Guerrero means warrior. Warrior, warrior, warrior. Say, wake up, get up and get out. That's what he was telling me. So all these 12 months, the Lord has been opening my eyes and, and, and he has shown me that there are individuals already that the Lord is rising. And there's organizations, oh Lord, that is, uh, the Lord is using to work on the same thing we are working on. And, and what, what is that? Waking up the church, waking up the church to get up and get lighted. Praise God. We are the light of the world. We are the light of the world. And, and please tell me, uh, I'm, I'm lost of time. Okay, just let me know because I don't want to take more. Thank you. My wife is faithful on that. <laughs> you are the light of the world, Matthew 5. You are the light of the world like a city in a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. No one digs a hole and hides the talent. Instead, a lamp is played on a stand where it gives light. Listen to this. It gives light to everyone in the house. So, when the Lord told us, to go out and preach and be witnesses. It says, be witnesses where? In Jerusalem. And then Judea. And then Samaria, right? But it starts in Jerusalem. And you know, Jesus was in Jerusalem, Jerusalem when he said that. So what is, what is God telling us today? We need to let our shine, light shine that starts at home. It starts at home. The world is in the condition and the situation it is because that light was not shining in enough homes. And now 
the, the liberal and now the people without godly intent, without godly lives, they are, we, I have let them lead my city, my state, and my nation. So what happens? What happens to the church? The church is good. Yes. Praise God. I have a church myself. You know what? And I've been, I've been, I've been dedicated to God's work. I've been, I've been a pastor for, for 25 years in February. I've been, I was an evangelist before that for 20 years. I've been faithful. I've been preaching God's word. But I've been asleep. I've been chained. I've been imprisoned behind four walls. And this is what God is telling us today. The church needs to wake up, get up, and light up, and go out of the four walls. And let the world see the light. How in the world are we going to show God's light if we don't ever lift it outside of these four walls? Oh, it's beautiful to, to come and, and be a Christian and be a, a Tremendous, fabulous light in the church. Praise God, we're a blessing to each other. But we're like balloons. We inflate. And we come to church next Sunday and we inflate. And we come to church every Sunday and we inflate, inflate, inflate. You know what? What are we doing? We need to get out there and share what we are inflated of. You know, there's a, there's a, there's a scripture... And I think, I think my clock is ticking, so I want to share this scripture. The scripture, the scripture in, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it says that, you see, uh, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we ourselves are servants for Jesus' sake, for God, who said, let there be light in the darkness has made this light shine in our hearts so we, could, so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. We now have this light in our hearts, but, our, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. What is this great treasure? The light, Jesus Christ. This makes it clear that our great power is from God and not from ourselves. God receives all the honor and all the glory. Why fragile clay jars? We are fragile clay jars and God chose us to put the greatest treasure in our hearts. The light, Jesus Christ. You know what? If we were strong containers... That light would, uh, would be kept in. But whenever troubles and trials come our way, anything that comes our way, we break easy. He said, Lord, sometimes we go further and I say, why me? Right? But if we were not fragile, we will never know about God's power. So this is what God wants. Remember the story of Gideon? The 300 soldiers? Remember? They had a, a, a container. They had a jar with a torch inside. But until that container was broken. And that torch was lifted up. And then they shouted. And then they blew their horns. 
You know, God gave him the victory without them lifting a sword. God gave him the victory. You know, the darkness was confused, killing each other, and they even fled from 300 soldiers. But it wasn't the 300 soldiers. It was the power of God. So this is what God wants for the church to do. We need to shine our light out there. The darkness is trying to take control of our homes, of our cities, our state, and our nation. But that's not going to happen. Not in our watch, because we are warriors. We are warriors with the greatest pleasure in our heart. That's Jesus Christ, and He's the light, and we are called to shine our light outside of these four walls. You know what? I've been doing these conferences, and I don't know for what reason why I attract Hispanics. I don't know why. But you know what? God has called me to, to wake up the pastors, to tell them, let's keep God in Texas, get involved, get registered, go out there and vote for the right people, people that will stand for biblical values. And I tell them, you know what? It, God has called me to do this, not only to Hispanic people, but to every color uh, uh, there is in this world. South Texas, God chose South Texas. I don't know why. We, he, El Paso, Laredo, Brownsville, and Corpus. And that's a, another long story, but I'll tell you this. Two, three weeks ago, God showed me by another brother in Christ. He sent me a, a text, and a text was a picture of Texas. And it was showing the colors, uh, the political colors of Texas. And it was all red except for the border, along the border was blue. And I said, wow, that's why God chose these cities to go take, keep God in Texas to start a fire. To start a fire on these cities until they turn red hot from blue. And the fire is going to spread. The fire is going to spread. This is, this is, enough is enough. The church has been silent. The church has been incarcerated too long. So we need to wake up, get up, and we need to light up, get out there, raise our torch, light up wherever we go, light up for Christ, and let Christ shine in us. I am, I'm not living no more. It's Christ that lives in me. So it's supposed to be Christ that shines in my life. God bless you. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. If, if, if that don't start your fire, your coals are incredibly wet. Amen. But what a message, guys. And that's why I say often is I feel as though that Texas is the last bastion of integrity and morality that needs to stay grounded so that when the rest of the country gets through throwing their fit, they can look back to Texas and say, that's what we want. That's where we need to be. And thank you, Brother Jorge, for putting that fire out there. And I pray I can help you in any way I can. And guys, remember, too, what my brother is sharing with you. Oftentimes, we get afraid. And we say, well, who am I? I can't do this. God said that he has understood and acknowledged exactly the way he said it. He says the world is a scary place, but be of good cheer. 
swine, for I have conquered the world. Amen. And he who abides within me is greater than he who is of the world. And if he has conquered the world, then as you said, brother, we become warriors. And not just warriors, we're warriors that know the end of the book. And if I know I'm going to win, I can take a hit that much harder. Because I know in the end, we win. That's right. That's right. But we have to stand. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, brother. I'm, I'm, I'm excited already. Well, we got another speaker this morning, and, and a, a man that I've got to hear a few times that I've got to know fair, fairly well, and I just praise God for him. Powerful example of the American dream. I'm going to let him share most of that with you, but he arrived in Texas in 1957, if I, if I understand correctly, on a student visa. Got a job as a dishwasher making 50 cents an hour. Learned English and went to school all at the same time. Guy's degree at the University of Texas. And now he is an ordained minister through the Director of Grace for America, sharing the Word of God with churches and pastors' conferences throughout the United States. Time for action, empowering the faithful to reclaim America. And I can say, even without the bio, I've got to hear this man speak, and I hear his heart. I've seen the heart of his son, which always comes down from the Father. And I see that this is a gentleman who truly wants America to stand upon the godly principles that she was started and created for in the beginning. So it's my honor this afternoon to present Brother Rafael Cruz to you tonight. Thank you, my brother. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. Can I pray with you? Praise God. That's it. Father God, I lift up my brother, and may you just speak through him in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. It is so great to be with you. You know, Pastor Frank, as I was sitting there, the Lord brought a scripture to my mind from the book of Hebrews, which talks about this great cloud of witnesses. And brother, through the tragedy that your church went through and the great pain that was suffered in this church and in your own family, that great cloud of witnesses now stands in heaven and they are cheering as the Lord says, well done, good and faithful servant, Pastor Frank, and that you have walked and you see beyond the tragedy to what God has set before you. And uh, be encouraged in the Lord. The Lord's put a very special anointing upon you to reclaim this land for his kingdom. Amen. You know, about two, three months ago, the Lord told me something that I've been faithful to do every time I got in a, on a pulpit. And the Lord told me that he wanted me, every time I got on a pulpit, to start by quoting John chapter 1, verses 1, 2, and 14. And the gospel of John chapter 1 begins by saying, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And verse 14 says, And the Word became flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Those three scriptures mean that this book and Jesus are one and the same. This is Jesus. If you get a revelation of that truth, you're never going to read the Bible the same way. You will really rest on the authority of the Word of God. This is Jesus. Well, I'll tell you, I love this country with a passion. 
America is without a doubt the greatest country on the face of the earth. And it is not by accident. Do you realize that America is the only country on the face of the earth that was established as a Christian country? You know, when those pilgrims arrived in Plymouth, Massachusetts, before they got off the boat, they penned a document. It was called the Mayflower Compact. And it began by stating their purpose for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith. That was their stated purpose. It continued. In the presence of God, we covenant and combine ourselves together to form a civic body politic. In other words, some form of government. Why? For our better ordering and preservation and furtherance of the ends aforesaid. What are the ends aforesaid? The glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith. What a great foundation. 1 Corinthians 3.11 says, For no other foundation can any man lay than that which is already laid, which is Jesus Christ. This country was founded on that foundation of Jesus Christ. You know, we read in our history books that the first great awakening started in the 1770s. That the American Revolution started in the 1770s. But really, the American Revolution started in the 1730s with pastors like Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield and a fairy black preacher from Indiana by the name of Harry Hoosier. It was the first great awakening that was a spark that ignited the American Revolution. As a matter of fact, I am sure all of you have read the Declaration of Independence. I count 17 grievances against King George in the Declaration of Independence. But did you know that each and every one of those 17 grievances were preached from the pulpits of America for 10 years prior to Jefferson writing them down in the Declaration? My friend David Barton says you could consider the Declaration as a series of sermon summaries. It was pastors from the pulpit calling out King George for the atrocities that the British were perpetrating upon the American people. The question that begs an answer is, where are those preachers today? The majority of them are hiding behind the pulpit, scared to death of not being politically correct. Well, it is about time we become biblically correct instead of politically correct. You know, Pastor Tobar was talking about God calling him out just a few months ago. Well, God did that to me a little over eight years ago. I was at a pastor's conference, and the Lord really dealt with me at that pastor's conference. I got home, and the Lord took me to Ezekiel 3.17, which says, Son of man, I call you as a watchman on the wall to do two things. Number one, to hear from me, that is to hear from God. And number two, to warn the people. 
And God gave me a mandate. God told me, go tell my pastors to warn my people. Since then, I have done well in excess of 250 pastors conferences all across America and brought this same message to even more churches. Typically, I'm bringing this message to a church on a Sunday morning somewhere across America. And I'll tell you, we need to realize our foundations. Because if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? As a matter of fact, let me, let me just give you a little review of American history. We've all heard of Paul Revere, right? The British are coming, the British are coming. Did you know that Paul Revere was going somewhere? He was going to the home of a pastor. A pastor by the name of Jonas Clark. At his home were two patriots. The two most wanted men by the British Army. John Hancock, who was president of the first uh, constitutional conference, and Samuel Adams. The first battle for our independence was the Battle of Lexington. But did you know that the Battle of Lexington was fought right outside the church of Pastor Jonas Clark? As a matter of fact, at the Battle of Lexington, eight colonies died. Seven of those eight were members of Pastor Jonas Clark's church because the pastor, along with all the men of their congregation, were warriors. They were at the forefront of that battle. Second battle for our independence, the Battle of Concord, fought right outside the church at Concord. And then the British began retreating northward all the way to Boston. And history tells us that militias would come to the road and engage the British and they killed some 600 soldiers. What the history books don't tell you because it's been erased is that those militias were primarily composed of pastors and the men from their congregation. Pastors were at the forefront of every battle for our war of independence. Let me tell you about my favorite pastor. His name was John Peter Muhlenberg, Lutheran pastor from Woodstock, Virginia. He was one of many pastors that the British greatly feared. They called them the Black Robe Regiment because they all wore long black robes. One day in early 1776, Pastor Peter Muhlenberg is preaching at his church on Ecclesiastes chapter 3. He concludes his message with verse 8, which says there's a time for war and a time for peace. He pulls a musket from behind the pulpit. And he says, this is a time for war. He opens his black robe to uncover his colonel's uniform in the Continental Army. He turns to his congregation and he says, how many of you would follow me to go fight for our independence? 300 men join Pastor Colonel John Peter Muhlenberg that Sunday 
to go fight for our independence. Now, meanwhile, meanwhile, Peter had a brother, Frederick Muhlenberg, also a pastor in New York City. And Frederick is sending letters to Peter for the sake of the young people here. Letters is what we use before the times of email and text and Twitter. So he's sending letters to Peter. Separation of church and state. You shouldn't be involved in politics. You should just be preaching the gospel until the British burned Frederick's church. And then Frederick said, well, well, maybe I better get involved. How many of you have seen the movie The Patriot? Most of you. Do you remember in that movie the British burning a church? Well, the British burn many churches. You know why? Because the revolution was being fostered in the churches. Again, the question is, where are those churches today? I'll tell you what, we better get our act together. Because, you know, a minute ago I quoted Psalms 11.3, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Unfortunately, the enemy has set up other foundations in America. There are two that are very intertwined, socialism and secular humanism. And they are one in the same. And basically, secular humanism tells you there really is no God. You're your own God. Well, unfortunately, socialism and secular humanism has crept into a lot of churches across America. And we have many churches in America preaching what I call the social gospel. They are trying to look more like the world with the excuse of attracting the world. The problem is, Pastor, when they come to the church, they don't find anything different because they talk and act just like the world. You've seen some of those churches on television. So the church loses its impact upon society. You see... We need to realize that if you ask a hundred Christians, including pastors, what does that word church, the word in the Greek is the word ecclesia. If you ask a hundred pastors and Christians, what does ecclesia mean? Probably at least 99, if not all hundred would say, well, it means the called out ones. And that's not incorrect. But that was not the principal meaning of that word 2,000 years ago when Jesus used it. Last March, I was in Israel, and I was in Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi was the place where Jesus asked his disciples, Whom do men say that I am? And Peter said, Thou art the Christ the son of the living God. And Jesus said, Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my father which is in heaven. And upon this rock, not Peter, but the confession of Peter, I will build my church. 
my ecclesia, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Caesarea Philippi was the most idolatrous city in the time of Jesus. They worship idols. They would sacrifice babies to demons and throw them down a deep pit in Caesarea Philippi. Now, the name of that pit was the gates of hell. Very interesting how Jesus will use terminology applicable to the place. But the word ecclesia in the time of Jesus in that Greek city, which was Caesarea Philippi, meant the governing body. The ones who make all the decisions, the movers and the shakers, the people who sit at the gate. That's who the church is supposed to be, not the followers, but the leaders. We are to be the head and not the tail. Unfortunately, the majority of the churches got it backwards. Let me give you some examples. Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6 is where God instituted the deacons. Verse 3 tells you the purpose of the deacons. To serve the tables. That meant to feed the poor. That was the responsibility of the church. Now praise God that Pastor Frank has got a place here to feed the poor. But the majority of the church have acquiesced and they have handed out that to government. How is that working out? In the book of James it talks about pure and undefiled religion is to take care of the widows and the orphans. That's welfare. Now, Paul clarifies this as a two-tier responsibility. First of all, it was the responsibility of the immediate family. But if there was no family, it became the responsibility of the church. Again, the church acquiesced, handed it out to government. How is that working out? See, the more we keep seeding, the more... The enemy takes over. The enemy takes over. Because we've been in retreat instead of occupying. Read Luke chapter 19, the parable of the pounds. Very similar, Pastor Tovar, to the parable of the talents. But the parable of the pounds has one further clarification. The one who got Ten talents got placed over ten cities. The one who got five talents got placed over five cities. Twice the results, twice the recompense. That's free enterprise. The one who had one was taken from him and given to the one who had ten because the one who had one was a lousy steward. The one who had ten was the most faithful steward. And in that parable, the master said, Occupy till I come. That's a military word. Occupy means you stand from a position of victory. And if you understand, going back to Jesus at Caesarea Philippi when he said, Upon this rock I will found my church, my ecclesia, my governing body, my group of rulers, of movers and shakers, and the gates of hell shall not prevail That's not a defensive position. 
That's an offensive statement. You kick the doors of hell down. You storm the doors of hell. Because greater is he. Greater is he. Greater is he that is within you than he that is in the world. We stand in a position of victory. You know something? Alexis de Tocqueville was a Frenchman that came to America right after the American Revolution. And, and I'm not going to give you the total discourse because I don't have the time, but he said, not until I went into the churches of America and saw its pulpits flame with righteousness did I understand the secret of his genius and power. But I got to ask you a question. Are Americans, America's pulpits today flame with righteousness? I don't think so. Because the challenge in too many churches, the fear of the Lord has been replaced with a fear of not being politically correct. And they are hiding behind the pulpit like a bunch of cowards, like a bunch of wimps. The problem with America lays in the church. We failed by being a bunch of cowards. It's about time we take our position, like our brother would said, and we become warriors. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We cannot continue to be a bunch of wimps. Let me tell you, we do it to our peril. We do it to our peril. Pastor of the Second Great Awakening, Charles Finney, greatest leader in the Second Great Awakening, is talking to a group of pastors. And he says, if Satan rules the halls of legislation, is that happening today? Absolutely. He says, the pulpit is responsible for it. Then he said, if our politics has become so corrupt that the very foundations of our government are ready to fall away. Is that happening today? Yeah. He says, the pulpit is responsible for it. Now, lest those of you who are not pastors will think he's not talking to you, let me tell you something. We all have a pulpit. It may be the place where you go to school. It may be the place where you work. It may be your extended family. We all have a pulpit. Now the Bible also says to whom much is given, much is required. So the pastor bears greater responsibility. But we all have a pulpit. But the question is this. Why is Finney blaming the pulpit instead of blaming the politicians? His next statement bears clarity to this. He said, let us be thoroughly awake to this reality, my dear brethren, that we as the church are responsible for the morals of this nation. And uh, you know something that I hear from way too many pastors, way too many Christians, and it is a lie. And I'm sure all of you have heard it. Politics cannot legislate morality. Have you heard it? I'm not going to ask you if you said it. Politics cannot legislate morality. That's a lie. Politics legislate morality all the time. 
Let me give you four examples. 1962, prayer was removed from all public schools. There may be somebody here old enough to remember when we prayed in school. That became illegal after 1962. A year later, the Bible was removed from all public schools. Do you know who printed the first Bible in America? Congress. Congress printed the first Bible in America. You know why? So it could become the principal textbook in every primary school, high school, and university. And listen to me well. It was so for over 160 years. For over 160 years, the Bible was the principal textbook in every school from kindergarten through graduate school. 1963 was banned. But here is the sad thing. In spite of these two abominable decisions, the church remained silent. Their excuse is a political issue. How can you call prayer a political issue? How can you call Bible study a political issue? But that's exactly what the church did. You know the consequence of that silence? Teen pregnancy skyrocketed after 1963, and so did violent crime. Ten years later, nine unelected justices of the Supreme Court decided that a baby in the womb did not have that unalienable right to life from our Creator. And they legalized abortion. Again, the church remained silent. Same excuse. It's a political issue. Do you realize that over 61 million babies have been murdered in America through abortion? God help us. We as the Church of Jesus Christ need to fall on our faces in corporate repentance for the sin of abortion. The blood of 61 million babies is crying out to God like the blood of Abel did. And then on June 26 of 2015, that same Supreme Court said that God got it wrong. Genesis 1.27, God says, let us create man in our own image. In the image of God created he them, male and female created he them. And then in chapter 2 it says, For this reason shall a man leave his father and mother and cling to his own wife. Very clear, right? But the Supreme Court said, no, 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 no. Marriage can be anything you want it to be. It could be between three men and a horse. Anything you want it to be. How long are we going to remain silent? How long are we going to remain silent? But you know something? There's a much more important question. And it is this. Are we going to have to answer to God for our silence? I'll tell you. There was a pastor in Nazi Germany. His name was Martin Niemüller. Martin Niemüller said, first they came for the socialists. And I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. 
Then they came for the trade unionists. And I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews. And I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Finally, they came for me. And there was no one left to speak on my behalf. Pastor Niemüller, like most people in Germany, was a Lutheran pastor. He was dressed all in black with a pastoral collar. He's arrested, thrown into a holding tank with a bunch of drunks. The next morning, a Lutheran chaplain, dressed just like Niemüller, walks into that jail and sees this guy dressed just like him in that cell. And he says, brother, why are you in there? Niemüller stands up and says, my dear brother, considering what's happening to our nation today, why are you not in here with me? Warrior, we got to stand for righteousness sakes. There was another pastor in Nazi Germany. His name was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And Pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, silence in the face of evil is evil itself. Listen to his next statement. God will not hold us guiltless. God will not hold us guiltless. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. Silence is not an option. Now, what are we going to do about it? Proverbs 29.2 says, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. When the wicked beareth rule, people mourn. You need to memorize that scripture. When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. When the wicked beareth rule, people mourn. Who are the righteous? We are the righteous. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says that he, God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin for us, that we may be made the righteousness of God in him. His righteousness has been imputed imputed unto us, and God sees us as righteous as Jesus. The blood of Jesus has cleansed us from all sins, and Ephesians chapter 1 says that we are accepted in the beloved. Now, if you have a religious spirit that doesn't allow you to re- re- receive this, oh, how can I call myself righteous? You got two choices. You either have God's righteousness or you got self-righteousness. Take your pick. I'll pick his righteousness. It's not your righteousness anyway. It's his righteousness that is put on you. But you look at First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, and there's correlation that occurs 100% of the time. When Israel or Judah had a righteous king, the whole country followed the Lord. There was peace, there was prosperity, there was harmony. Every time Israel or Judah had a wicked king, the whole country went to idolatry. There were wars, there, were, there was famine, there was chaos. As the king went, so went the people. We need to vote, as was said by both the previous speaker, we need to vote for righteous leaders. Because righteousness exalts a nation. 
but sin is a reproach to any people. Let me say something pretty heavy. And Thanksgiving is coming in a couple of weeks. You need to tell this to all of those relatives that are going to come to your house for Thanksgiving dinner. If you vote for a pro-abortionist candidate, you become complicit in the murder of over a million babies a year in America. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you vote for a pro-abortionist candidate, you got blood in your hands. Proverbs chapter 6 says seven things that God hates. One of those is hands that shed innocent blood. What blood could be more innocent than the blood of an aborted baby? I want to leave you with five action steps. Number one, voting is our responsibility. Galatians chapter 6 verse 7 is called the law of the harvest. And it says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Your vote is a seed. Your vote is a seed. Make sure you plant it on fertile ground. Mark chapter 4 is called the parable of the sower. And it talks about four different grounds. The last one is what it called fertile ground. And it's a ground that produces a harvest 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. You need to plant your, your vote as a seed in fertile ground. In men and women running for office that uphold the Judeo-Christian principles in this book, that have made America the greatest country on the face of the earth. Now, this means we got to make sure that every member of the church votes and votes according to biblical values. I don't know if some of you know about George Barna. George Barna does surveys among evangelical Christians. He came out with a survey that was really pretty sad. He said that in the average church, only between 50 to 60% of the church members are registered to vote, about half of them. And of that half, only half vote. So in the average church, only 25 to 30% of the church vote. Now Frank has heeded the call, and Frank is running for state senate in a district that is heavily controlled by the other side. But I'll tell you what, if the church gets off their rear end of start just sitting in the pulpit, sitting or sitting in the, in the couch, watching the idiot box, and they get involved, Frank will get elected, righteousness will prevail in this county. Amen. The church is the answer. Only one out of every four people in a church is voting. Now let me tell you the good news. Of those who vote, over 80% vote for biblical values. Four out of five. So we need to get the church registered to vote and then make sure they go to the polls. That's number one. Every church should have a continuous voter registration program from now until election day. Now I'm helping a group that has a brilliant idea. 
What they are doing is they're making every Sunday school teacher a registrar. Every leader of a home Bible uh, study a registrar. And then they have the responsibility of registering all their peers and making sure they go to the polls. Number two, you need to run for public office. Praise God that Pastor Frank has heeded the call. But we need pastors. We need deacons. We need associate pastors. We need Sunday school leaders to run for public office. Again, Proverbs 29 and 2. When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. When the wicked beareth rule, people mourn. But if the righteous are not running for office, if the righteous are not even voting, what's left? And it becomes our fault. And let me give you an idea, something that you may be unaware of. In Red Bible Belt, Texas, do you realize that there are over 200 municipalities, that means towns, cities, where soji ordinances are the rule of the land, where a man can walk into a woman's bathroom, over 200 towns and cities in Texas. Do you know why? Because Christians are not running for city council. Christians are not running for mayor. And the mayor and the city council are the ones who make those decisions. It is our fault. Do you know why we got so much garbage in our public schools? Because Christians are not running for school board. Occupy till I come. We need to start having Christians, pastors, running for public office. I have a friend in the woodlands. He's a pastor. Uh, he's a pastor of the Bible church in the woodlands. I was doing a pastor's conference seven, eight years ago. And after that conference, he walked to the front like someone coming for salvation. He said, man, the Lord has been dealing with me for a month that I need to run for public office. You put the last nail on that thing. I got to do it. He was a state rep for six years. He is now the, the county judge. He's continued to be a pastor, and he has two advantages. Number one, he's bringing the word of God to the legislature. God knows we need it there. And number two, he has a whole congregation praying for him. And he still will go every Sunday and preach. The legislature only operates four months every two years. So you can do that and continue to be a pastor. So we need to have people of faith running for every position of public office. Number three, vet every candidate. Don't just believe what they tell you. Because they're going to tell you what they think you want to hear. No, 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 no. You tell them, show me. Jesus said, ye shall know them by their fruits. Show me your scars. When have you fought to protect the sanctity of life? When have you fought to protect the sanctity of marriage? When have you fought to protect my right to keep and bear arms? Show me. Don't tell me. And then you make sure that everybody goes to the polls and votes for men and women that oppose the principles of the Word of God. Because righteousness exalts as a nation. But sin is a reproach to any people. If we do that, if we do that, we will continue to have America as that beacon of freedom 
Do you realize one of the reasons why America has been so greatly blessed? Two more, two more minutes and I'll finish. We are about 4.5% of the population of the world. And do you know that America is responsible for over 80% of all the evangelism of the world? God has used America to evangelize the world. That's why we have been so much blessed. And God has used America also to export the principle of freedom and free enterprise throughout the world, which is what has given us the richest, most prosperous country in the, on the face of the earth. Do you realize, for those who may be feeling sorry for themselves, that the poorest people in this nation are richer than 99% of the population of the world? The poorest people in this country are better off than 99% of the population of the world. We're blessed. We need to thank God for America and stand together to make sure that America continues to be that shining city on a hill to the glory of God. You know, the last thing that those framers said in the Declaration of Independence was, and in support of this declaration, we pledge our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. We pledge it all. We can do no less. Each and every one of us needs to say, like the prophet Isaiah, Hear my Lord, send me. And let's keep America as that shining city on a hill to the glory of God. Amen. I'm going to leave you with one verse of scripture. And it's Galatians chapter 5 verse 1. Stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. And do not entangle yourselves again with a yoke of bondage. We have been given that freedom through the blood of Jesus Christ who was shed on our behalf that we may be free. Let us not allow anyone to put us in bondage again. Thank you. God bless you. God bless America. God bless Texas. And glory to our Lord. Hallelujah. Amen, amen. Well, folks, here's the thing now. We've heard the words. We've had the message presented to us. We've heard about our responsibility. We've heard about how we should become warriors. And we've heard the backing that it wouldn't be the first time that the church has stood many times. And when the church stands, God shines out. Now, I would say, I wish this place was full so every ear could hear, but you each one can take that message wherever you go. And guys, we have been given a platform. Those of us that have been in this, path, this church, those of us that have walked through the fire that Satan intended to bring us down, we chose to make a stand. And that stand was not to look at our feet and look at our circumstance, but to look to God and let him beyond something greater than ourselves, pull us through. And by looking to him, the, the very fact we have this beautiful facility we're in right now, the blessings, the salvations, that many things have come to be, by looking to Christ and lifting him, he said, you lift me, I'll draw all men unto me. By us choosing to look to Christ, 
He has proven himself over and over again to lift all men to himself and use us and allow us to be a part of that ministry. If we have seen it work here in Little Sutherland Springs, how much greater will it be if we will then take that, that example, that tangible example that we can put our hands on, how much more if we will take that to the voters' booth, if we will take that to the activists, if we will take that to Austin, if we will take that to the Laredo brother, if we will take that wherever God takes us. My brother just shared, we all have a pulpit wherever it may be. Ladies and gentlemen, folks, don't leave it to the pastor. Yes, the pastor should lead. But praise God, every one of us. When he said, go ye therefore, he didn't say, go ye pastors. He didn't say, go ye deacons. He was speaking to everyone who was a part of that church. He was speaking to his ecclesia. He was speaking to everyone that had that foundation of Jesus Christ. Now go ye therefore and make disciples and baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And oh, and guess what? I will be with you to the very ends of the earth. Folks, we have been called to do this. We have heard three great messages this morning. And it's all for naught. If we leave out of here and just say that was good and do nothing about it. Can I share one more thing? Absolutely, my brother. I just, I just want to share something from Samuel Adams that has really been inspirational to me. And it should inspire us. Especially when we see we should have had many more people here. Samuel Adams says, It does not take a majority to prevail. But only an irate, terrorist minority keen on setting brush fires of liberty in the hearts of men. Hallelujah. The group that is in here today can set that fire throughout this whole south of, of Texas and just bring thousands upon thousands. You carry the torch and set those brush fires everywhere. Amen. So let's go set them fires. Amen. I'm going to close this in a word of prayer in just a moment. But guys, I can't even remotely think what would happen if every Christian still continued to stick their head in the sand. This next election that is coming forward, I know we've heard it often, and I know that the Lord may return before then, but he didn't say sit down and do nothing till I return. He said to be the watchman on the wall to proclaim his imminent return. But in the meantime... We have been called to take those talents, not bury them, but use them till he comes. As the church, we are to go forth and proclaim the gospel. And though it may not be politically correct, though your opponents may say things that are just absolutely untrue, though they may call you names, though the world may try through peer pressure and intimidation to have you stand down, Understand and remember this. They did all that and more so to Christ Jesus, but yet he still hung on that cross for our namesake. Therefore, if he chose to die on the cross for my freedom, then I choose to live for him to sustain that freedom. Amen. Amen. I pray. I pray each one of you will do the same. And guys, it's not about, Frank, again, it's not about that I'm special. I mean, I, I have the special one inside. So the one who indwells me also indwells you, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. So let me say this before I pray. 
The wages of sin is death, and every one of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But he who believes that he is the Son of God and that he rose again on that third day, so shall you be saved. If you're here this morning, this afternoon, and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then that's the first freedom. You can't go out and fight a battle for someone you don't even know who they are. If you really want to fight, allow him to become your commanding officer. And then when you do, take the command and follow through with what he gives you. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, give myself, give, give Brother Raphael or Brother uh, Tavar, uh, anyone in this room that you know, there's other pastors, but don't leave here without coming to one of us and getting that right. And if you do know him, it's great that we have that Savior, but we also say he's my Lord. And if he's my Lord, that means this body in which I, I, I reside right now, the life that he has given me, the freedoms I enjoy in this country are really his. And if they're really his, then I should fight against those who are trying to take them from him. Let's get out and do what God's called us to do. So again, if you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I pray we get that right. If you do, let's get out there and make a difference. Like this, this place has a lot of empty chairs, but we all have one of these. Where's that? Let's get them burned up and start telling people get out and vote. Amen? Amen. I want to lead us in a word of prayer. If you'd stand with me this morning, this evening. And don't forget after I pray to come and shake these men's hand and just let them know that, that you're grateful for the message. And maybe even make a commitment. I'm going to do the best I can what God's called me to do. Father God, I come before you right now and just thank you for these men who have come and shared. Uh, Father, come far from home. Uh, Laredo and Dallas drove all this way to pass down, pass along the message you've laid on their heart. May we not take it for granted. May it not be spoken in vain. They have done what you've called them to do, and you will bless them for their willingness and their obedience. But God, may we now take that message and follow through with it and carry it to the, the highways and the byways. May we go and proclaim your gospel. Though the world may not like it and the world may not want us to, May we just go forth knowing that you have conquered the world. May thy will be done in the hearts of your people. May we have a blessed rest of this day, Lord God. Be, be my, my brothers and Bibi and get them back home safely, Lord God, to their families tonight. And may thy will be done in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. It is obvious that there has been a very special calling on Pastor Tovar and on Pastor Frank. I want to ask uh, you all to come forward. Let's lay hands on these two men and, uh, and pray that God will send them in his power to, for, to be glorified through them. And whoever is led to, uh, to pray, let's pray for these two men that God will use them in the new calling they have.